Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, an independent RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Um, I am missing Final Fantasy XIV FanFest for this, so let it never be said that I don't love you all. And who is our special guest? It's me. It's Eric. I'm back to torture all of you Blood God listeners. You thought you were done with me, but I came back. Yeah, it was me, Dio. <laughs> it was me, Eric. <laughs> this week, we are just going to be having a pretty chill and conver- uh, casual conversation about what we've been playing in the RPG space, specifically more recent RPG releases like Pokemon Snap, Nier, and Mass Effect Legendary Edition which is now available. We'll get back to that in just a second, but Eric, it's so wonderful to have you back on the show. How are you doing? It's been ages, you know, long since the the before times when, you know, the the great blue square still held all of us aloft in the sky. Now we are down here. Um, but <laughs> um yeah, no, it's it's been good. Like it's that time of year now where like things are starting to really pick up and you know, June is looming like a angry god on the horizon and I'm just sitting here and being like, wow, we might I mean, we're going to have an E3 this year and like People Ish. are talking about conferences <laughs> already this year. Yeah, we'll be covering Ish. E3, but we're not going to be there or anything. Like, it only gets real when you're we're, actually we're gonna there. We're going to be there in the virtual. We're going to yeah. be, there's virtual booths, avatar creation. Like, we're in Ready Player E3. It's going to be. Oh, uh, just kill me now. <laughs> well, I work for IGN now, which means I've been assimilated by E3. I am E3 now. Mm-hmm. You are one with the system. I you can see the code the like Keanu. I will forever be salty because I was supposed to go to that E3 that was all canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, you would have been exhausted with us, Nadia. Yeah, it would have been fun. I, I, it's a different kind of exhaustion. It's, it's different. It's a change. My experience with E3 was always that the first couple days were always kind of really exciting, especially when all the press conferences are happening. But then by mm. Tuesday, you're just heavy legs. You've been drinking too much. You're exhausted all the time. You're feel you're, tr- you're just fighting to get articles out, running to the <laughs> next, your feet hurt as you're running to the next appointment. And then by the time I'm flying home, I am just completely dead. You know, it's, yeah. yeah, I guess by Tuesday, you start to realize how big the convention center is. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. The, the south to west transfer is real like yes <laughs> it's, oh um i don't miss that i'm grateful we can do that virtually this year but um uh, I, I don't know it's it's weird to think of like a real returning because like i had i had pfizer shot number two this week oh um, i'm now on day three after it yeah i'm pfizer so. too yay hey. that's pokemon starter pfizer of the blood god <laughs> But it's weird. Like, I'm already starting to make plans with people and be like, oh, in September, there's this Riot Fest out in Chicago with a bunch of bands that we could go see and we could rent an Airbnb. And I'm just thinking like, wow, this is like a thing we could do again. This is like normal again. And I'm still getting used to that. I don't know why. Some companies holding a junket in San Diego. And I'm like, there are junkets again? There is travel again? (laughs) I don't even know. Like... I don't know if I'm going to be in the mindset to even begin to consider traveling until November. And I got my second shot. So, I mean, I think it's crazy to be traveling right now. But also, I did not travel at all during the actual pandemic. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not scheduled to get my second shot till the till August. Well, Eric, we were all over at US Gamer together and it's been fun gabbing like it's all time like it's old times, just like we were doing that right before the podcast. Of course, these days you're over at Destructoid. How's that going? It's been good. It's uh there are some parts that are oddly similar to USG. Like I remember at USG we had a lot of like comment interaction, which is a thing that is really rare to find in the internet these days. I mean, obviously working for like a really big site, you notice that the comment sections are just kind of like they're they're what comment sections are nowadays, uh, especially mm. with like large user bases. But Destructoid kind of has that too, where there are a few regular folks that you get to know and you see in the in the comments and stuff. And there's like a small community that's banded around it. So in that ways, it's similar. Um, of course, it meant learning a new CMS, which is always uh, the best part of any oh, media. Oh, so great! Job. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, besides that, I mean, I'm just covering stuff. I'm a I'm more on the reporting side now, so I'm less on the editing side, which is actually kind of nice. I get to spend more time chasing stories um, instead of doing like the the big management stuff. And I'm reviewing a lot more things. So if you dislike my takes on games, I have great news for you. You're going to see a lot more of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And you also run the podcast Normandy FM. And this is kind of your moment, Eric, because Mass Effect Legendary Edition is out. And you've got these multiple roundtables around all three mm-hmm. of them. We'll just pretend that other one did not exist. What I don't I don't know what you're talking about. Is it the mobile game? Mobile <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're on you're on the Mass Effect One podcast, which I think is actually like not. Please, if you're listening, other guests on the other Mass Effects, uh, don't listen to this part. But I think Mass Effect One <laughs> is like the most interesting to talk about in light of the Legendary Edition because it's obviously it's the one they were coming out and being like this is what we're doing the most on. This is what we're really paying attention to. Like those other ones, you know, they're getting a nice little tune up or whatever, but mass effect one, you're going to like it now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's the one I'm most interested. And we've got a heck of a lineup coming together to, to talk about it with, with yourself and, and John from Fanbyte and and Ken and myself. So it'll be interesting. We finally playing the game. So you're actually playing it, Nadia. I was playing it before we started, yeah. I'm so excited for you. Do you I'm know so who you're going to romance yet? Have you decided? Uh, what's her name? The chick I rescued from Eden Prom already has eyes for me, so I'm guessing it's going to be Oh, her. is it Liara? Oh, no, yeah. that's Ashley. No, that's Ashley. Ashley, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Wait, are you Not, playing I Male Shepherd? news for you. <laughs> yeah, I play Male Shepherd. Oh, like it. interesting. Why Male Shepherd? I always, When I'm playing any sort of game like that, I always just make a male character. I don't know what it is. Really? I just do it. Yeah, I don't like making female characters. My I, Final Fantasy character is a male. I struggle so much with male characters. That's why I took I a long time to get into Witcher 3, because I was like, I just can't connect with Geralt. This is not me. And so, but so it's interesting that you're the opposite. Maybe it's a gender thing for me, because I've always just been like, not exactly a feminine person. Like, I'm, I'm cis. I identify as a woman, but maybe it's because I grew up with brothers. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm just a strange person. That's all there is to it, I suppose. I'm going to tell you this right now. I mm-hmm. hate to say it. By and large, you're going to have more romantic options <laughs> than, <Yeah. laughs> than FemShep is going to have because uh, you, you just it, it was a video game in the early 2000s. So um, you, you lucked out there. But I will say, Nadia, I'm going to tell you to hold off a little bit because you've got a blue alien lady who's going to join your your team. 
And there's another character who's going to join your team who you can't romance now, but you'll be able to romance her in two and three. And they're both great characters. Meanwhile, Ashley Williams is a space racist. So <laughs> she gets right better. <laughs> she gets better. I'm better just, I'm, is like I'll, relative. <laughs> I'll just forever be salty that you can't romance Rex. Like this is just my rebellion to take whoever comes around first because you can't get Rex. What's the point? You can't romance Krogan's. It's 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 terrible. It's it's femshed. I, I was always salty that I couldn't uh, romance. And I'm sorry if I I cannot remember her name right now. She has a mask. What's her name? Tolly. That's yeah. That's one of the male Shep romances I was talking She's about. She's my girl. Tolly. I yeah. wanted to romance Tolly, and I can't. How dare! Let they? me tell oh. you about the beauty of mods on PC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing on Xbox, so. But yeah, uh, maybe I'll go for mask chick then instead of space racist. <laughs> do that you won't be able to romance her until two for some reason and i i want to say i've either read this in a bioware book somewhere or it's a theory so you know don't take this as a gospel but um they're like it kind of seemed with the the romances they were putting out there like they were like let's have the human companions as romances and then the blue lady that everybody can romance and, and everybody likes you know star trek blue lady good job um <laughs> star trek lady, good like job. garris and tally she's not really a woman she's a gender wink wink she yeah she's she's mono gendered is is how the asari work if um, she's the one i'm thinking of she has humongous tittos how could she be like i think i think i saw really her a woman scene. wink wink okay to be like asari are a cool concept for a species yeah, all no, right no, hold okay. on we're not gonna start with the liara actually, progressive, actually. no yes. i'm gonna i'll say that i've just but bioware created her and i say I'm using female pronouns because Liara's clearly intended to have female pronouns. I want to say they use female pronouns when referring to her as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're doing it as a workaround because being gay in video games was still a thing in 2007. Yeah. I, when I play this game, I think of it all in the context of, okay, this game is from 2007. It was, it was a different time. People forget about like the Fox News scare that happened. I feel like we were going oh, back I over forget. this. Sex box. <laughs> Jeff Keighley sitting there on Fox News with the big old headline sex box underneath him. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a career defining he, moment right he's there. He's like world premiere. Sex <laughs> box. <laughs> well, we'll talk more about Mass Effect in a little bit. But first, we have some housekeeping to do. If you enjoy the podcast, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Can you leave us a review over on the podcatcher of your choice? It helps the visibility of the podcast, and also it brightens our day, and we like it. And also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. Eric is at cmoosi, S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I. See, I remembered it, Eric. Very good. I always like it when you say it because you have like the the Minnesotan. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Indeed. Speaking of which, hey, Eric. uh, So how are you feeling about the Jordan Love era for the Green Bay Packers? Are you ready? I said I wasn't going to drink on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I'm. hmm. It's okay. Aaron's just doing his usual drama queen thing. It'll be fine. He's mad because John Mulaney's dating his ex and it's a whole thing he's got to go oh. through, you know. Oh, is that his ex? Okay. Yeah. 
how do you succeed? You know, all he's got is the number one, one of the number one receivers and one of the number one running backs and one of the best left tackles and, you know, Super Bowl caliber team. But, you know, it's just a rough time for him over in Green Bay. You know, he didn't get enough candy on Valentine's Day. There was he had his, he had his box you. out in the locker and they didn't put enough lollipops in there. So <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod with a lot of exclusive content. Nadia, we have an exclusive podcast for our $5 patron and above coming out this week. It's our Fellowship of the Ring podcast. We have not recorded it as of this episode that we're recording right now, but we're going to record it tomorrow. I'm very excited. Rewatching Fellowship of the Ring was awesome. Holy cow. That movie really holds up. So please look forward to our conversation next Wednesday if you are on the Patreon. Also, we have our Pantheon of the Blood God episodes. We recently did Terranigma, and this month we are going to be doing the original Mass Effect, as voted on by our patrons. And hey, Eric, you're going to be on that one. Oh boy, I get to talk more about Mass Effect. <laughs> we'll be doing a big deep dive into the original Mass Effect with all of its its making and its best moments, and then we'll decide, does it deserve to go in the pantheon especially after the legendary edition came out sorry in the top 25 does it get to hold on to its hollowed place i guess we'll find out okay normally this would be the part where we're talking about what we're playing but we're going to be kind of doing that the entire episode though here in the notes nadia it sounds like you recently did a final fantasy 14 raid group with the discord is that right yeah it looks like it's going to be or at least we're going to try to make it a thing every thursday evening we last week we were trying to take on Titan. We finally beat him by the skin of our teeth. And uh, there was one point where Victor Hunter, who, who leads the group, had to get up and leave for a second while we were all just kind of charging Titan. We all died and he came back and he was the only one alive. So he's basically likened it to that uh, scene from, what is it, the guy with the pizzas who walks in and everything's on fire? <laughs> like that. Community, Nadia, you got to watch Community. Come on now. I really got to watch Community. Yeah. It's great. It's a great show. And that's a great episode, too. It's a really good episode. It was extremely apt for the moment that happened. So he comes back and everyone's dead. Like, what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. I left for two seconds. But yeah, we, we did get Titan done. We tried to get Efreet uh, extreme uh he fricasseed us so that's our next that's our next goal but we're all having a good time we all just kind of like to hang out and chat as well just about uh life and stuff and the lore of the game of course because we're all nerds speaking of the discord i opened a pandora's box nadia i open. i added a anime explosion channel uh, after lots of popular demand because everybody's like why don't we have an anime yeah. channel and now it's just all anime gifts all the time Heck yeah. It's the only way to communicate. There's uh we started with hieroglyphics and we moved on to written language and now it's all anime gifts. That's uh it's the evolution of language right there. Yeah. There's a bunch of Discord additions that were recently announced, including something like Clubhouse, where you can basically host a gathering of people. So I'm kinda hopeful that we can just do that instead of having to go jump all through all the hoops with YouTube. Yeah, we've been having some technical difficulties every time we try to do that. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that this will streamline things a little bit. Well, last time it was just because my internet died or something. So that was pretty No, annoying. it was my computer. My computer right. exploded. You don't remember? Your computer exploded and then my internet died. Yeah, that was a that was God telling us, you know what, this this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let's go on to the RPG news. First item of business, Nadia, there is going to be a Dragon Quest 35th anniversary live stream on May 25th that will be looking at the future of the series. And I'll have live global interpretation for the first time. Nadia, you have a long wish list. Let's hear it. Well, it's actually a short wish list. Um, I actually want Dragon Quest 3. I want the version of Dragon Quest 3 that came out on the Super Famicom to come onto the Switch. Now, we have a version of Dragon Quest 3 on the Switch already, but we don't have the version that had the animated sprites. And those sprites animations were really, really, really good for the system. Uh, we did get kind of an adaptation of it for the Game Boy Color, which is also another excellent version of the game. So I would like to see that. I would also like to see the versions that were on the DS, uh, 4, 5, and 6, come out onto the Switch, because those are all excellent ports of the game, excellent remakes of them, actually. And I'm assuming we're going to hear more about Dragon Quest XII, which we know is like kind of at least being planned in production, something like that. Uh, I'm sure there are people also who are going to say, oh, I want to hear about Dragon Quest X coming to the West. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't really want that to happen because God knows I have enough of my time being taken up by Final Fantasy XIV. I don't want to have to commit to another MMORPG. It's just my heart can't take it. Nadia, it is 2021. Everything is an MMORPG in its own twisted way. Yeah, but not the kind of MMORPG where you like get your ass kicked by Efreed every week. It's true. I play an MMORPG where I get kicked my ass kicked by uh, baseball pitchers every single week. There you go. So there you go. <laughs> they throw baseballs oh, at you, I hope. Oh. Bean you with them every week. You meant the show. I was like, are you playing Blazeball again, Kat? <laughs> MLB The Show has a mode called Showdown, which is a series of challenges. And then you have a boss battle complete with a uh, flaming background and everything as you're heading into it. And uh, you have to basically, you have... 12 lives in order to score as many runs as you can to beat them and uh it's actually rather hard and i lost the other night so they made a baseball mode what this sounds incredible for a while it's actually kind of it's kind of actually kind of dope but what that sounds rad no it is pretty rad that's why i've been playing this game way too much um but yes (laughs) i would it be shocked if Dragon Quest Twelve got announced? Honestly, like this sounds like the moment to announce it, Nadia. Yeah, at the very least, let us like see a trailer or a concept or, or something. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see something, especially if they're doing a worldwide kind of interpretation. I think that's really cool. I it is going to be something like eleven o'clock at night for people on the East Coast, but it'll be worth it. I am staying up for it. Not that I go to sleep at that time anyway. That's when I'm just waking up. Christ. Are we almost to the point where Dragon Quest is something resembling a global franchise? God bless Square Enix. They've been trying for a very, very long time. And I like to do my part to make sure it happens. I mean, it's never going to be as big as Final Fantasy, but it doesn't have to be. It's in Smash now. That's that's the watermark that's right big. there. Is like, yeah, that's, that's true. The that's true. But Nadia, you forgot a very important thing that you got to put on your wish list. You mentioned uh-huh. a three. And it was a good three, but it wasn't the best three. You know what the best three could be? Dragon, Dragon Quest Builders, Builders 3. 3. Yes, okay. Yes. How could I forget that? No, absolutely. Did Kat just go, uh, did I just hear an uh out of you? I will <laughs> never forget the Dragon Quest Builders arguments we had in Slack. <laughs> was, we were talking about that, I think, a couple episodes ago. Those were epic. But you're absolutely right. I so badly want to see Dragon Quest Builders 3 because one was based on Dragon Quest 1 alternate history. Two was mm-hmm. two alternate history. Three is like, one of my favorites of all time. So of course it has just got to happen. It's got to square. It's got to, got to, got to. It's going to happen. 
Yeah, it's going to happen. Builders 3 is going to happen, I bet. God, 2 is so good. What I really want is Dragon Quest Nine Two for the Switch. I would like 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 a sequel to Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, or or Remake Dragon Quest or Nine sequel perfect. something. Right, that'd be cool. I could go for that definitely. Something that because I really loved the combination of turn based combat and multiplayer gameplay. I thought that worked really really well, and I loved the social elements. And I think that can be built upon and, and developed for the Nintendo Switch. I think that'd be really cool. I think that would be really cool. It'll be won't be quite as fun as when you took your 3DS around or your DS around and, and found people that way. But mm. the online component, of course, could be insane. And not to mention finding treasure maps all over again. Like that was just so amazing. On the Western side, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the new first expansion, Wrath of the Druids, which was delayed, I believe, probably because of COVID, is now out. It's set in Ireland, and. Reviews say that it is basically more of the same. <laughs> surprise, surprise. But it's in Ireland now. And I just... One big shrug because Assassin's Creed of Valhalla should have been very cool. And instead, nobody seems to care about it. Even Ubisoft talks more about AC Odyssey than they do Valhalla. Like In their most recent earnings report, when they were talking about Assassin's Creed, they did not talk about Valhalla like at all. They, they mentioned really? Odyssey. Yeah, Odyssey oh, is the one. They I didn't bought. know that. Yeah. Oh, that that's a good sign. That's always a good sign. Yeah, it's it's like a weird game because it it was like super prominent. I mean, I know like having a watermark for something being prominent, being like Pete Davidson rapped about it on SNL is like weird, but like it was it was a surprisingly high release just given like the window it was in, and it felt like a lot of people played it, but it was just like the thing that you played on your new console and mm. like speaking as someone who really liked origins and odyssey i didn't finish valhalla because i was like this is not propelling me in the way those games were and i don't want to play another 70 it, it's so they're so long they're so long and there's so many long games nowadays and i know this is an rpg podcast so saying that long games are tough to get through is a little bit heresy but like come on y'all no not every game has to be se- like i can't if say which hours game are good 70 hours then you know i'm a little yeah. bit more on board you know like i was just previewing or looking at a game that i can't really mention yet because of embargo but they were saying oh it'll be about 30 hours like oh my god thank you uh 30 hours i'm totally cool with that i could feasibly finish that thank you Oh, even I'm like, oh, that's a bit long. That's a bit on the long For side. RPG, I think it's acceptable. <laughs> but I, I mean, not every game has to be 70 hours. If, you, if a game is going to be 70 hours or longer, you really have to justify it. When I played Persona 5, it was something like 130 hours. I just did not feel like it was 130 hours. I was just mm-hmm. boom, 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 day after day after day. I was having a great time. But I remember if Mike wasn't talking about Valhalla, then nobody was talking about Valhalla. <laughs> that's, what, that's the way I look at it. I don't think it's bad for a game to be really long because there are plenty of people who buy a game and that's the one game they get and they're just going to play it to death for the next like six months and having that much content is awesome, right? I just, I feel like those people have moved on to other games. I feel like they're playing Mm -hmm. Destiny. They're playing like the, they're playing Valorant. I don't know. They're playing Siege. They're playing like something that they play with their friends. Yeah, they're playing Fortnite. Like, I, I think the the era of like big single player games that have that sort of time sync is already start, starting to feel a little bit outdated. And I feel like Ubisoft 
is kind of starting to recognize that now too with their recent comments on the sorts of games they want to make and granted like hyperscape didn't you know like set the world ablaze in the way that they probably would have liked but watchdogs too as well that just yeah and went and it's yeah but i i think that a lot of the people who want just like their one game are finding it in better avenues these days well as a geriatric millennial i have to say that that term i strongly identify with old like very long games you know because i remember the pre-analog era or i remember the analog era the pre-internet era i'm old apparently i have I, i do have to say if i were still a kid who got maybe one or two games a year for my birthday or, or holidays or whatever, I would probably love the idea of a 130-hour RPG. That'd be great for me. I played Final Fantasy VII on loop, basically. Oh, I played Final Fantasy VI on loop. Like, I just did everything. I'd play it every week. I'd start a new game. My parents went freaking bananas. I beat that game was, I swear to God, every combination of party members that you could possibly have. So, I yeah, could, exactly. I, I had it down to a science. I could beat that game in less than 30 hours. So, For the listeners at home, Eric is staying deathly quiet because he did that, but with Final Fantasy X. <laughs> I thought we all have our Final Fantasy Vice, like that one game that was our vice. Oh, it's, it's, it's good. I've gone back recently. That game holds up, and it's still a very quality RPG. Eric, were you like eight when Kingdom Hearts came out? That sounds right-ish. Like, yeah. uh, I know I got it for Christmas. Um, so, like, I remember playing it and, like, swearing when Riku beat me on that little foot race in the beginning over and over again. So that sounds about right. Um, I only ask because we were talking about Kingdom Hearts last night in my household. And we had this running theory that if the people who love Kingdom Hearts the absolute most were the ones who were, like, eight years old, when it actually came out and I was like, that sounds about right. Cause Katie absolutely adored kingdom hearts and she was about eight too. So there you go. I've absolutely cooled on the kingdom Hearts series at this point. Like I've gone so 180 on it since kingdom hearts three came out. Like Neo, the world ends with you. We can talk about that. That's looking real good, but I uh, think so. Cat, cat's a, cat's a heretic. She doesn't think so. Have you, did you see the opening movie that came out this oh, week? It's horrible. With the music and the oh, Isn't the music great? Good. It's oh, oh it's, no, just, it's so 2006. Do you listen to Alexis is... on Fire, Eric? Yes, yes. See, it's Alexis on Fire. Oh I, my I, see? people! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they live down the street. They're in St. Catharines. It's so like, perfect. Like legit, I was like, man, it's like they they took this like to under oath and we're hey, we need you to put that one battle song from the world ends with you in the middle of one of your songs. Just kind of build something around it. Can yeah. you do that? And they're like, we got this. Oh, and Minami Moto's back, and he's gonna say all kinds of math stuff. He's gonna be like so Zeta slow and all that. Okay, that's stuff. okay. It's gonna be fantastic. Have you been watching the anime? The anime is legit. No, like, I, I have to watch that. I keep forgetting to watch oh, we it. We should do an episode about that. Special episode. We should, actually. That's a good episode. It's yeah. legitimately good. It, it has some pacing issues up front, but they've just gotten to the part where Minami Moto is like playing his role, and they're even adding some scenes that weren't in the game or anything, but are surprisingly good. And I'm... I'm a little taken aback. I feel like Square Enix has taken it as a way to be like, here's what the story, like the story that we want going into Neo The World Ends With You because they've had the iOS revision and the Switch revision with the epilogue and all that. So they finally get to say, this is the story that we want people to know going into this game. And it's 
it works. It clicks. I just love that. I just like the in my mind. I feel that like the world ends with you is like a an open zoo for Nomura. They let him go, like let him off yes. at least like a dog park, so he can <laughs> just like around in a circle. It's Nomura's dog park. Like everybody's got baggy jeans and zippers. Check. Uh, player pins. Can pins make magic happen? Check. Uh, what about giant teddy bear? Sure. Throw it in there. Here's a kangaroo that's made out of like angry music notes. Check. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you need? Honestly. Oh my god, the Nomura dog park. I'm sorry. It just <laughs> freaking kills me. This though. You gotta let him have that energy. Got He's gonna have to release that energy or he's gonna release it on Final Fantasy VII Remake and we're all gonna be in trouble. Oh, oh god. Yeah, you're right. It, better for him to direct all of it into that. I love The World Ends With You Once Upon a Time and I'm sure that we'll do a Pantheon episode about it at some point. Yes. Um, I think that it looks quite dated at this point, but I think that's kind of the point is Neo, the world ends with ego. It's very clearly leaning into that 2006, 2007 energy and Hey, 2000s, uh, 2000s nostalgia is in baby where we have officially arrived to the 2000s are retro. Willow Smith is making pop punk music. It's great. <laughs> oh my God. The 2000s were the worst decade. I just want to say this straight up front. What a horrible decade. Let's not be nostalgic for that decade. It feels like a blank to me. I just don't remember much of it. That's part. <laughs> I remember uh, Green Day, American Idiot. And the American idiot da, 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 and baggy da, da, jeans yep. and all the clothes were really, really tacky and so bedazzled all the time. So much bedazzled. And George W. Bush was our president and we were in Iraq and 24 was one of the most popular shows. It wasn't great, everybody. But we had Welcome to the Black Parade and Three yes. Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Yeah, that is true. And Welcome to the Black Parade, I don't care. It's one of the best albums ever written. I was living in Japan, so I was at least partly shielded from 2000s culture, so that was okay, but still. <sighs> I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be playing Neo The World Ends With You, except for the podcast. I just, it's not interesting. Oh, I think you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't resist. <laughs> well, a couple of final news hits. One, hey, Death Stranding's no longer illegal in Australia, so that's nice. Or not Death Stranding. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> A couple more news hits before we move on. Uh, first, congratulations to Disco Elysium, which is no longer illegal in Australia. So well done there. I can finally deliver packages there. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kat. I think that was the best blooper we've had on this show. <laughs> Kojima should be illegal in all states and territories. <laughs> Well, it's going to be cut out, so you're going to keep it in. I'm good now. <laughs> I had to get it out. <laughs> uh, we are all very loopy after a long week. And finally, there's a good story over on Eurogamer. Somebody in Skyrim went through and killed literally every NPC so that they were just alone in Skyrim. Oh my god, that's devastating. That's that's got to screw up your psyche. Why'd they do Horrifying. that? They killed the younglings too? Like everyone? The children and the women. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that there is a bug where if you have, I can't remember the name of the stick, the wabajack or whatever it's called, it can turn NPCs into cinnamon rolls or sweet rolls and you can eat them. And that's not <laughs> supposed to happen, but it's Skyrim, so it can happen. And that's how you can completely break the game by just 
eating all the NPCs, even the story NPCs. <laughs> I was going to say that's even more horrifying if you killed everyone but the children and you were just stuck in a Skyrim full of children. Oh, like, Children of the Corn Skyrim? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. that would be amazing. Holy crap. He who walks behind the rose and, and talks in a Norse accent. I think Cinnamon Rolls broke cat. <laughs> I mean, between the Death Stranding thing and Skyrim and Skyrim sweet rolls, where we are having ourselves an episode, everybody. You didn't know that you could turn people into sweet rolls and eat them? No, absolutely not. It's pretty cool. And you can also break the game if you fill your house with cheese. I have a friend who discovered that the hard way. Mm. And she collected every book on cats, and that also kind of wrecked the game. I'm just real mad that... You are. You all haven't allowed us to talk about this game on Pantheon of the Blood God because there's so much to cover, and I learn more about this game all the time. Come on, vote for it. Vote for Skyrim. The next vote time for Skyrim. Time. Absolutely. What what lost to Skyrim? What what did Skyrim lose to last time? I forget. Oh, I think it was uh, System Shock too. System Shock two beat it. That was a fun. That, that was a good episode. We got Jeff Green on. We had a great time. But oh yeah, absolutely. We always do quality work. I mean, I was cool. I was rooting for Skyrim. Not gonna lie, Skyrim's just so Skyrim is uh, an institution, and now apparently you can kill everyone except the children and have them rule this province, and then turn the children into cinnamon rolls and eat them, mm-hmm. or just you know, like de- open open a bakery for no one. <laughs> well, what's your secret ingredient? These are really good. <laughs> we turned everyone but one kid into a cinnamon roll. <laughs> And then we opened a bakery. <laughs> I just wrote a really good Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> you did. Nadia, the Final Fantasy XIV Fan Fest is happening right now. The trailer has come out. We're adding this a little bit later then we actually recorded the podcast because I wanted to make sure that we got it in for posterity and because, you know, it's Monday as of the listening people listening to this episode. But anyway, Nadia, what are your thoughts on the trailer? Uh, it's pretty hype. It looks like everything's going to like burn and go to hell. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it's so hype that everything's going to hell. This is great. This, this, let's just say that the stakes are extremely high. The world is literally falling apart. You have the final battle between Zodiac and uh, Hydaelyn, good versus evil, light versus dark, etc. And I'm not exactly sure why the star is falling apart. We just know that the previous game, uh, previous expansion, Shadowbringers, the whole thing was about avoiding the Eighth Umbral Calamity, which was a just a devastating, devastating thing that would have ended the world until like the hero went back to the first and averted all of that. But it looks like the whole thing has not been averted after all. It looks like maybe partially averted. Maybe fate has been changed so that it has a different kind of fate now. But either way, things are very bad. Uh, there are some really interesting points from the trailer. For example, we're going to be going to Charlien, which is a isolated academic town on an island. And they've been very hands-off about the whole thing. Like, we're neutral in all affairs. We're not going to fight the Empire. We're not going to do anything about the world ending. That's all... We'll be fine. You do your thing. So the whole, uh, they're going to, I guess it's going to have to involve convincing these idiots to join up and finally help out. What makes that interesting is we, you know, the twins, right? Alphano and Alize. Yes, I know them. Okay. Their father's a dick. 
he's the one who's in charge of isolation asshole island and he is really really unhappy that his kids and his father uh are involved in the affairs of eorzea so he's going to be by the looks of it if not a villain then a point of contention and he looks like the kind of guy who really hates his kids like he just looks so angry and pissed off that he fathered a couple of children Another thing that's very interesting is um, one of the great worms are returning. You have Midgar Stormer, who gave birth to seven great dragons. We have met a few of those dragons. We've actually met several of the dragons. We know several have died as well. So you have one more that has returned. I can't remember her name, but she's being ridden on by Istinian, which is one of the dragoons uh, from the game. And they've kind of gone back, they've pulled away from killing dragons in Heaven's Word to riding on them, which was originally what dragons did. So I really like that they have that callback to that particular time in Final Fantasy's history. Games coming out, sorry, the expansion's coming out on in November. I forget exactly when, I think November 29th. And yeah, I am, I am stoked. I am very stoked. Sounds amazing. It has a... A lot to live up to the previous expansion, which people consistently call one of the best Final Fantasy adventures ever. But there's a lot of momentum going on through into this expansion, I feel like. Yeah, um, I'm much more impressed by this trailer than I was with Stormblood's trailer, which I felt like was not nearly as engrossing as the trailers for Heaven's Word or for Shadowbringers. Endwalkers, I think Shadowbringers still has one of the best game trailers ever made, but Endwalkers is still quite good. And we're going to the moon. We're going to the moon. We are definitely going to the moon. Uh, male Vieira. Holy crap. That is a big deal. The Vieira. Okay. So if you are a fan of any of the Evil East games, you might know what the Vieira are, right? Yes, I do. I know who okay. the Vieira are. <laughs> good. Good for you. So, you know, they're Fran, sexy bunny people. <laughs> they are sexy bunny people. And we're getting sexy male bunny people. At last. Your moment has come, Nadia. My, la- my moment has come. <laughs> because... Basically, as I recall, they did not want to put Viera in the game in the first place. And finally, they relented and said, okay, here's your stupid Viera. They're only female. Sucks to be you. So we were just like, okay, whatever. We got Viera. I guess that's that. And now all of a sudden, they come out, hey, everyone, here's male Viera. Like, what the hell is this? There has not been male Viera in any Final Fantasy game, none of the Evil East games included. Because who knows how they're going to work this into the lore. Male Viera are extremely violent and territorial and do not get along with anybody including each other so they're usually extremely isolationist they don't even see the women except like for mating and that's it so i don't know how they're going to work that into the the lore they promise they will but it's probably going to end up like the whole cat people thing where the lore is oh the makote are actually very rare especially the males you don't see them around very much and half the damn game is a bunch of cat boys running around so they're going to say one thing, but another thing's going to happen. But I am kind of glad that they're there. They're they're really, really, really cute. I have to admit. All right. I wanted to make sure that you got your two cents on this trailer into this podcast. Let's go back to the main recording. All right, let's talk about the main topic, which is some of the big RPGs that have come out recently. The biggest one, of course, is Mass Effect Legendary Edition, but Near Replicant has definitely remained in the discourse as well. And Pokemon Snap, which is not an RPG, but it is one of those RPG-adjacent games, 
these are all games that we've touched on at various points in what we've been playing, but we haven't really done formal reviews for any of them. And I kind of wanted to circle back in this episode and kind of rectify that. Eric, you've been playing all of them. So let's start with all, let's start with the biggest mm-hmm. one, I think. The one that is most current, the one that's going to be in the title of the episode. It's the one that everybody... I, I was looking on Twitter last night, and I swear to God, literally everybody on my timeline was starting up Mass Effect. They had their new Shepherds ready to go. It was Mass Effect Christmas over on mm-hmm. my Twitter timeline. So, Eric, you're the biggest Mass Effect fan here. How are you feeling right now? Intrigued. Let's put it that way. Um, I mean, this has been a long time coming in a few different ways. Um, you know, I, I was actually going back to old episodes of Norm DFM and we had people on cause we finished our mass effect seasons like two years ago at this point. Oh God. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we had people on when we were having them on them, we were always going like, Oh, when are they going to remaster them? When are they going to put them on the new consoles? And for ages, the only way to really play this series was to go through like Xbox backwards compatibility or, or PC. And, um, even when it was launching, it had like a weird launch structure where like the first mass effect was only on Xbox 360. And then mass effect two came out on the PS3 mm-hmm. and the three, like it was mass effect has always been scattered in a way. And so to not just have all three games, but also all the DLC incorporated in and just have like one nice, neat, clean launcher that you can say, like, I want to boot up the Mass Effect trilogy and start playing it is like, I feel like there are a lot of games that people wish they had for this sort of thing that they had this. So you could just do that. So you could boot it up like, you know, if you wanted to play all three Final Fantasy 13 games or whatever, that you could just do that. You could boot them all up from that. Um, obviously with the remaster comes a lot of discussion about, I mean, it was the same discussions we had around Resident Evil 2. I feel, you know, when you remaster or in in Resident Evil 2's case, remake a game, you know, what are you changing? What are you keeping the same? And how does that change what the game is? You know, like the, the ship of Theseus argument, to be honest, it's, it's been weird because a lot about these games is really the same as you remember them. (laughs) Like, um mass effect one has definitely received the most attention as the one that i've spent the most time in so far i've really i haven't even touched three yet uh, i've i've played through i'd say i'm probably about halfway through one and i've watched like the intro plus a little bit more of mass effect 2 mass effect 2 is mass effect 2 it just looks nicer looks sharper there's been some like little changes and stuff like that Mass Effect 1 is where they were like, okay, we're going to do some balancing. We're going to do some changes. We're going to fix a lot of stuff. And a lot of it's very good stuff. Auto saves have been made so much better. And you'd be surprised how big of a complaint that actually is with the original Mass Effect 1. But like original Mass Effect 1 had barely any auto saves and they were all in terrible places. So (laughs) that's a huge bonus. But at the same time, they like updated the Mako handling. And I I know I'm like a staunch original Mako advocate, but it feels weird now. Um, so much so that I've already reverted back to the old controls. What? Um, so you like pain. Okay, I, I, I was describing this to someone earlier. Um, uh, for those those listening at home, if in in the new game, what the change they basically did, aside from some handling and stuff that makes it a little bit like weightier and stickier to the ground. And it has a boost button now, which is hilarious. That should have always been in the video game. But (laughs) um, basically, you can set it to a control scheme where you will move according to your camera perspective and not like tank controls, because that's basically how old Mako used to handle was very like tank controls, like left, right, forward, backward. 
And that's all well and good when you're just driving around. I think it's pretty similar from what I remember to how the Nomad and Andromeda handled. But with the Mako, you're often in a situation where you want to be like strafing and firing and like, you know, aiming your cannon one way and moving in a different direction or like backing up and moving away because there's like three different Geth armatures that are shooting at you and you want to dodge all those blue Hadokens that they're shooting at you. Mm -hmm. And so you like got to do hops and stuff like that. And I don't find the new control scheme to be that good for that. I actually I, I was reverting back immediately because I was having so much trouble trying to like it would try to readjust and, and move around and wiggle and do the wacky wiggle. And there's a lot of wacky wiggles in, in Mass Effect 1 still like the cover is better, but <laughs> it's still like the Mass Effect 1 cover system where it kind of feels weird getting into and out of cover and your squad yeah. mates kind of bunch up around you if you're not commanding them. And it's it's very much that game. Um and in fact, there are ways in which I wish it had been more updated, uh, like the waypoint system could have been way further improved on the minimap. Um, the I, I think just a lot of the UI, some of it's been cleaned up a lot, but other parts could just use another revision. The The lighting is like the biggest controversial one. I see a lot of people talking about it. I've noticed it, too, that the comment is it's too bright. Yeah. And hmm. I I don't like that because I feel it's like too broad of a criticism because in some places like the citadel and stuff it makes sense they got more places to shoot the light in from of course there's more light there uh, in other places it makes the lighting less moody uh, mass effect 2 still very much has like it's it's like stark lighting and stuff it's really a mass effect one thing from what i've seen so far sometimes when you up res things and and you like you boost things up in systems where they weren't supposed to look that way in the first place. It yeah. Make things kind of stand out in a way. And I think I, that's, what's like grabbing a lot of people right now. I was joking. I, I was playing it in a discord and I had it open as, as like I was sharing screen to the discord with a bunch of friends and we were all playing it. And I made them all stop and look at my screen. Cause I was like, look at the council, you know, that, that first part where you're like arguing that Saren is a bad guy. I was like, look at the council. They look like those things in Looney Tunes when you know that only one object in the shot is going to be like able to be interacted with. It's like <laughs> hot, it's like outlined and stuff in a way. And that's that's what the council looks like right now. Um, I've kind of noticed everyone's eyes look a little bit freaky. Yeah. And lips. I, I lips? can't stop staring at the lips. I can't get my shepherd to look right. He looks like a. I, I've been fiddling with him and he looked like a monkey with pursed lips like i couldn't stand it like if i look at yeah. from the side i want to kill myself i feel like it looks better in mass effect 2 and 3 they were like that makes sense they were like we have united all of the models to some extent between 2 and 3 but i swear to god that shepherd definitely looked way better in later games than it does even in legendary edition i think default shep looks fine if not almost out of place in mass effect one but then the second you start to to mess with beaters and and mm -hmm. stuff like that it immediately is like oh huh <laughs> <laughs> um but all like all that being said um that's kind of also what mass effect one is it was a game that was kind of too big for its own britches you know it was, it was trying a lot of in stuff 2007 that, yeah and and it because it was trying to do something that I mean, when you think about video games in 2007, not a lot of video games were trying to do this. It was Bioware trying to be like, what if we took KOTOR and mashed it up with Gears of War? 
and right. uh, created like a cover shooter that was also an RPG that was also a sci-fi epic that took place across three different video games. And in that respect, I kind of like that Mass Effect 1 is still this weird, strange game because it also means there's like interesting stuff in it. Like we'll we'll talk about this with Near Replicant too, but like there are bits of this game that are like, oh, they put the resolution to this quest in a text window. And it's a really well-written text window and it's really like evocative and stuff like that. It's like something you would read from really old Bioware games. And I, I'm just like, wow, this was like a bridging point between what they became and what they were. And it's mm. interesting in that regard. And I also think like Mass Effect 1 is a very good game on its own right. It's definitely not the cleanest game. It's not the most polished game, but it's cut. It's got stuff in it. It's I mean, man, it's got so much lore that I just always want to be digging into. And it's a world is so inviting. Like there's so much that you just want to be learning and exploring in that world. And that's why I like I was I was joking that Shepard is kind of a moron in Mass Effect <laughs> one. Like there's there's a conversation with Rex where you're learning about what the genophage is. And he's like, yeah, you know, everybody just krogans die by the thousands and stuff like that and shepherd's just like yeah you know humans had a bad with turians too and i was like what are you saying shepherd and, and rex is like i don't think you understand literally thousands of our children die in stillbirth and, <laughs> and shepherd's like yeah but the humans lost a war with the turians i mean it was pretty bad kind of same right and he's like no not kind of no, same shepherd, shut shepherd's up. like oh i see your point and like rex delivers this great line that's like your ignorance isn't what angers me shepherd and just like leaves it on that and i'm like oh rex is such a good character like he's <laughs> um and he's putting up rex. with the biggest moron of a shepherd um yeah it's it's still a good series and i mean I think Mass Effect 2 speaks for itself. That that video game is, oh, it's chef's kiss. It's such a good video game. Uh, and Mass Effect 3 is the one that everyone's going to be yelling and arguing and throwing stuff at each other over. Mm. Um, I don't really care about getting that much into it because it is, this is like a, still a pretty high bar, but it's my least favorite of the trilogy. So I think Mass Effect 3 is having a moment. I think that it mm-hmm. after 10 years or whatever, and it's been almost 10 years since that game came out, holy cow. Oh my God. I think people are kind of looking back on the original controversy over the ending with this sort oh, of sense oh, of sure. kind of yeah. nostalgic amusement. And going, oh, remember how mad we were about the ending? Ha ha. Well, anyway, Mass Effect uh-huh. 3 is also good. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, and like I agree with this point, I agreed with it then, and I agree with it now, that like the finale stuff was overblown. You know, the gamers are mad about the ending of a game, and they started a campaign, and it was like, oh, that was a portent of things to come that we didn't realize at the time. Sure um, was. But honestly, like my issues with 3... And the ending and all that really more come down to how that whole game just feels like a constant tying off of knots that struggles to feel cohesive in a way that I like. And also, like, it just kind of discards what I like about that series in the first place, which is that sense of adventure and that sense of like, oh, you know, a space frontier that you're exploring and, you know, dark alleyways that you're going into where someone could pull a gun on you and and that sort of episodic Star Trek feel. And it's way more of like well, the Reapers are here and we're going to have a big epic battle. You know, if you're going to compare it to Lord of the Rings, like I think that trilogy fits up neatly. Like it's the return of the king where they're like, well, we've got to get rid of the ring now because that was the thing we built up to for for three films. So so what's the equivalent of Pelinor Fields in Mass Effect 3? 
of Pelennor Fields. Okay, forgive me in my Lord of the Rings not knowing because I haven't seen Return of the King in a long time. Is that the one? That's the big, with the big fight around city? Gondor. Okay, yes. Hmm. That would be like, I want to say that would be like Thessia when you're on Thessia and the sorry homeworld is falling and you learn all the deep, dark secrets about like the Asari, but then also Kai Lang shows up and is like, ha ha, I'm a ninja. And then you're like, God, I hate <laughs> Kai Lang. And he's like, ha ha, I work for president Bartlett and I'm here to take the beacon. And you're like, Oh, I hate this plot line. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like Kai Lang, but I mean, I'm happy that this exists. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm critical of it because I love it. And that's just how I've had to like justify it to myself over all the years is that as much as I sit here and I've got like a notebook full of stuff where I'm like, I don't know about this. And this is kind of iffy. But at the same time, I'm like, damn, it feels good to be back on the Normandy. You know, it feels good to be exploring space. And then there's people like me who this is our first our first time really playing it. I'm excited for you. That's it's. Yeah. I honestly fully believe that there is nothing, not even Dragon Age is like this in a way because of the way everything just keeps carrying over the way that you have this one singular character who I will argue this to the ends of the earth choices do carry forward in Mass Effect. They do matter. If you don't think they matter, let some yeah, people the die. Yeah, the Rachni sure did turn out to be important, didn't they? Okay, the Rachni <laughs> is, is a bad one. But hey, you go... <laughs> Don't do Grunt's loyalty mission in Mass Effect 2 and find out what happens in Mass Effect 3. Or kill Rex on Vermeer. Sorry, Nadia. Or, Don't do that. Don't or kill Rex. find out how it goes in Mass Effect 3. Like There is stuff that carries through that trilogy in ways that people don't always see because they try to like perfect game the trilogy and get like everyone alive, everyone happy, perfect Paragon. And I think it almost ends up working against itself because then people don't see how that stuff. Yeah. I'm actually not going to be using any guides for this one. It's been like quite a while since I played the original trilogy. So I kind of want to go in fret mm -hmm. in a way and I just want to play it as naturally as possible just to see mm -hmm. how, just to see what happens. Like maybe characters will die. Maybe things will be influenced. I bet it could end up being a really compelling experience. That said, I don't think it's that hard to get through the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2 without losing anybody. I did it on my first oh, try without mm. any guides. So there's one, and I'm really curious to get to it in Mass Effect 2 because I was actually watching uh, Giant Bomb uh, when Alex Navarro was playing through it. Um, they fell into this where there's a description of a character that says they're like a super good leader of people, but they're not one of the people that you should pick to lead a fire team. Like they're mm -hmm. not designated by Bioware to actually be good at that. And it's, it's trapped a lot of people. So I'm wondering if that's changed this time around or if that little pitfall is still there. Cause I know that it's, I know for some people it's caught a lot of them and ended up in them losing people in the suicide mission. So I'm interested. Nadia, this is your first time. What are your first impressions? Well, I, it's definitely one of those games where you can I can feel how important it is. And I understand that you do still have those 2007 trappings. But so far, I mean, I did the Eden Prime mission and uh, I'm very much enjoying it. It's as you say, there are some janky things like the cover system is a little bit like, OK, not the worst thing I've played by any means, but it's just not the, the shooting's not as refined as you would get in a modern game, I think. Mm -hmm. But it, it's still fun enough. There are, there are a few things where I'm just like, okay, this could be explained a little better. But generally, yeah, I'm 
I am at least able to experiment and fool around without getting penalized for it. Uh, for example, one of my companions, I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't the, it wasn't Ash, but the other jackass who's with me. Kate. He kept dying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he, I don't know what his problem is. He kept dying. So at least he comes back. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm lucky in that regard. What weapons are you using? I actually went with Vanguard, and I'm not sure. Yeah. See, yeah, so yeah, I'm not sure if this is one of those things where you can make a right or wrong choice, but I don't know. Vanguard sounded kind of cool. I went with Vanguard. Uh, I put a lot of stuff into pistol already, so I've been using the pistol. I want to kind of upgrade to a shotgun or whatever, because I know you have to upgrade the pistol before you can get the, the heavier arms, and I wanted to do that. So you can use them. That's one of the big changes in Legendary Edition, is you used to have to tech in, like, spec into the, the individual weapons to be able to use them. Mm-hmm. Now you can use any weapon you want. You'll just have a penalty when you're using it. So you can oh, use a shotgun okay. right now. You just won't be like as good as you will eventually be with the shotgun. Okay. I was wondering about that because I've noticed, okay, I can equip the shotgun, but it mm-hmm. says on the stat that I, I can't really use them. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it was telling me that. But yeah, so far I can equip whatever they have for me in the in the weapon wheel. So uh, I am having some trouble with the map. I find the map is extremely archaic and it's a, uh, you can put markers down, thankfully, but otherwise until I could figure out, until I figured I could do that, I was getting really, really lost all the time. But even so, it's just... Uh, the map could be a lot more refined. Yeah, not necessarily a bad thing, because in modern games we spend so much time chasing the damn waypoint that it's kind of a relief, in a weird way, to I be able no to explore. I want no I'm standing in. I keep retracing my steps because I'm just like, okay, it says I'm facing north, but suddenly, apparently, I'm not. It yeah. just needs to be a little more refined. That's it. I think it also just is like it's not a helpful map because it doesn't really show a lot on it all the time like most mini maps at mm. least give you a sense of like the space that you're in and where you orient towards it but it's like it's like dots it's like looking at Bulma's dragon radar in the first dragon ball yeah 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 it, yeah it's literally the dragon radar and you're just like i guess i'm near the thing <laughs> there's a blinky thing i guess i should go to the blinky thing yeah well here's in, the bl- i'm here at the blinky thing and nothing's happening in mass effect 2 uh, they implement a thing that's basically like you click in the stick and it'll like flash your mini map with an arrow in the direction that your next like quest objective oh, is. Oh, that's good. And that's super nice because there are a lot of missions in that game that are like time sensitive or you just want to be like moving at a pace that's a little bit more. It's a more action heavy game and it just kind of facilitates that. And it does. I, I sympathize, Kat. It does like take you out of like just breathing in the world a little bit. But Mass Effect 2 is all about like, let's go shoot some people. Let's go Vanguard charge and shotgun some people. Let's do biotic stuff. Let's throw stuff up in the air. And and it's it's way more in that direction. So yeah, that, it's that like I already it. had a problem with uh, disarming the uh, the, Eden, the bombs in Eden Prime. And yes, I just could yeah. not find them. And yeah. I was like, okay, is there a marker on the map? Any indication where I'm supposed to go? No. So I blew up the first time. Then I mm-hmm. at least I, I took it a little more slowly next time. But that countdown is not does not give you a lot of room for error. You get used to kind of like panning the horizon and just seeing when the thing in the center of your screen pops up because right. even if it's really far away, you'll see like the little box pop up that says like A to interact, but it'll be grayed out because you're too far away. And so I get so used to just panning around the room mm. and being like, oh, okay, this way, this way, and this way. So that's a good idea because I've noticed that even if thing something is off in the horizon, there's mm-hmm. like a, a treasure box, it'll tell me. I just can't get it, but I can know where to head. Yeah, you know, you got a general idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll keep that in mind. I'm so excited for you. There's so much ahead. (laughs) You're not the only one. I've had so many friends tell me, oh my God, I can't wait to hear what you think. 
I'm genuinely excited as well because it's good. I think you'll really like it, Nadia. It's very much Mm -hmm. you. It's your kind of game. You get to do fan fiction. (laughs) That's true. So much fan fiction. It's not even funny. I've. Oh, I I know friends who've written like piles of fan fiction about like them and and Garrus or whoever. So I'm taking a slightly different tack with my character this time. So the first time when I rolled up my character, you know, made the kind of badass lady with the the pixie cut, the dark pixie cut and everything. And the way I originally played Mass Effect back in the day was she started out as kind of a hardcore renegade, actually. I was like, I want to be evil. And she was kind of a hardcore space racist as well. Like I I ended up not going to spoil it for you, Nadia. Um but I did the renegade choice at the end of the original game. And I, but she becomes less of a space racist as the game goes on because she has this wonderful crew who teaches her that it shouldn't just be humans going into the way, that it should be everybody working together, hand in glove, in a very Star Trek kind of way. So as uh, she yeah, grew in very anime. Yes, she grew and evolved as time went on. This character is different. I picked a war hero and I picked uh, the military family when I was rolling up Mm -hmm. my character. And she is still fairly young, but she's gone prematurely gray from the horrors that she saw. So she uh, has gray hair. She's very like by the book and very like intense and very terse in all of her interactions with everybody. And my idea is that as the game goes on, she will, you know, thaw and warm up and become a true leader for everybody and not just a a soldier. And also, can she find true love at last? We will find out. But I don't think she's (laughs) going to find it in Mass Effect 1 because I don't want to date Liara again. That's fair. Um you don't really get great options in that department until like Mass Effect 3. And then you get a really, really great character who comes a little late, but she's also great. Um, that is like one of the weird spots. I know people were talking about, oh, are they going to address? Are they going to add some of the romances? Because there are like voice lines recorded for same sex romances or like voice lines that could be used for same sex, same sex romances in Mass Effect 1 and in Mass Effect 2 in the most infuriating way. Um, there's a character who tells you that they are bisexual and have been in bisexual relationships and you cannot romance them as, as a female shepherd, only as a male shepherd, um, just bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that there's been, there's long been like, I've told so many people who were so excited. They were like, I'm going to play fem shep and I'm going to romance tally. And I'm like, Oh no, you're not like, we all know that you should be able to looking at it from the outside. We're all like, that should be an option, but yeah, no, it's like, like queer romance has been a trouble spot for mass effect for ages. And that can't be rectified. They didn't seem like they were setting out to rectify it. Um, So it remains like part of this. It's like a time capsule. Things have changed so much since 2007. Holy cow. Yeah. You look at like Dragon Age's romances and it's like a completely different um it's like it's a 180. Uh to the point where Dragon Age 2, I think, coined the term player sexual or at least popularized it, because that was the one where you could romance everyone except for Varric in that game. <laughs> um so yeah, it's it's a weird different thing. I think that the correct solution always is the Stardew Valley solution. Just let everybody date everybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah. so easy. Come on. I actually actually really like Hades because not only can you you do only have a couple or a few characters you can date, but the fact that is that you can date everyone. You don't have to break it off with someone mm-hmm. else. I kind I actually really like oh, that. And Deuce's romance is adorable. It like, really is. It's, it's so really sweet. uh But Thanatos is the hottest, obviously. I mean Obviously, yeah. I mean, he's the right choice. I'm watching I just started Castlevania, the the last last season or whatever. And I was like seeing Alucard up there and I was like Man, Thanatos is really a la carte, and this is just like a type of dude now that we have in all things. That's okay with me. He is my type of dude. It's great. I'm just like, man, this really is a type of dude that's really on the rise right now. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, the the tall, skinny, pale, brooding boys are back, and My Chemical Romance is back too. They're related. He he was called in uh, the first one, uh, what was it that uh, Trevor called him, like your flying vampire Jesus to... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Richter, you can't do the tell to your flying vampire Jesus over here. <laughs> well, there are a couple other games that I wanted to cover. Eric, did you finish Near Replicant? Yeah, speaking of flying vampire Jesus and, and white haired <laughs> skinny boys, um yeah, I finished Near Replicant. Um I I finally found a gap and a weekend where I could could do that and I'm someone who I had only played near automata before it. Um, and near automata is literally like if I was making my top five right now, it'd be in for sure. Um, replicant did not hit that same way for me, but I still really, really liked it. Uh, it's really difficult. I think it's almost like final fantasy where like the first one you play is always going to be your favorite. And it's also really easy to see the ways in which replicant inspired some stuff that got cleaned up a lot in automata but it is a really really cool game it's got a lot of really different stuff in its story i like that it was almost more dragon questy and that you have a party and you roam around the plains doing quests in villages and stuff like that and it was way more that stuff than like automata which was like existential android pain (laughs) (laughs) um yeah like what if robots had depression (laughs) and um I, I ultimately I think Automata is still my favorite just because it's a smoother experience and it's a denser, at least for me, it was experience. But Replicant's fascinating. I think anybody who liked Automata a lot should play it just because it fills in a lot of gaps and um it's it's got some wild stuff, especially with the new ending they added this time around. Um fills in some gaps in some really interesting ways. So you want to talk about a time capsule. I just yeah. think about <laughs> the original Nier and how it they were the the developers created the dad Nier because they were like Jap- the Americans won't accept this uh this pretty boy this pretty anime boy and now it's the opposite people are like no more pretty anime boys all the pretty anime boys we're tired of dads give us anime boys we made a yeah. man ugly as sin and we're like let's make him the protagonist of our video game. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh no, it's yeah, it's it's way different. And it's definitely still old in some ways, but that game without spoilers finds ways to just surprise you in the ways that Yoko Taro will be like, "Hey, remember Resident Evil? What if we like made a level that was Resident Evil? Or what if we just like did a text adventure now and <laughs> it'll just come completely out of left field, and you'll have no idea what's coming and you'll be like, "Oh, we're doing this now and it's unique and interesting like there's one thing I can say about a Yoko Taro game. It has never left me feeling bored 
but this one definitely has some repetition in it in terms of you have to do a bunch of the runs over and over again like you have to play through the second act of the game multiple times and there's not really a lot of differences outside of cutscenes and stuff so that gets a little repetitive and you do have to get like all the weapons to see some of the endings and stuff so that gets that that drags on a little bit but it's it's like a 30 hour game and it it's it's worth it if you like near did you see the yokotaro ideas for monster hunter rise <laughs> no i missed that so he he apparently had been playing MH Rise and on Twitter he tweeted out it's like as I play Monster Hunter Rise here's a story I thought up. After the <laughs> tutorial oh, no. there is a rampage and the buff old man acts as a shield to save everyone but dies. In fact he dies due to a mistake made by the player. And then it just goes getting darker and darker through here. But my favorite one here as the main characters die out they are replaced by the story by generic NPCs and they start to come to the conclusion that the player is a danger to the village. They start restricting items and weapons, making the game more difficult. During a super hard quest, the target monster is able to talk. They tell you the true meaning behind the monsters in Kimura Village, and we learn that the reason why our hunter has a voice in the game. After clearing all the village quests, the village is left asunder. You can only play online multiplayer. The players who have lost everything can only go on killing monsters in this cold and barren world. Title of the game is shown. Oh my god, that's so... That sounds great. <laughs> I haven't actually done his quests in Final Fantasy XIV yet, but let's just say I've heard things. There was also, oh. the last boss arrives, but nothing you can do will harm it, but you can sacrifice one of the twins and make a weapon out of her that will damage it. You, the player, has to choose which of the girls. After creating the weapon, there is no longer singing in the village background music. <laughs> oh, that's so good! <laughs> I want to play this so bad. Oh. No longer singing. Oh my god, that's amazing. Oh, I love that make he just really sits around and thinks up Taro Yoko ass Taro Yoko stuff. Yeah. He, he, it's just, and then he just shares it. It's like he's like the, the twisted fanfic writer we all knew when we were kids. <laughs> what if they all died? Uh, I just want to make Mario having fun. No, no, he's got to like lose his head and run around without his head. I mean, if that appeals to you, Replicant is is your type of game. That's That's what I'll say. <laughs> I, I definitely have to catch up on the whole thing. super nihilistic. And honestly... Oh, extremely. I mean, he is pointing out the the real issue in some ways with Monster Hunter is that it that game, that series, as fun as it is to kill the monsters, also ties itself up in freaking knots to justify the fact that you are murdering these majestic mm -hmm. beasts. And they're always saying, oh, it's to protect the ecosystem or something. I don't know. And it's like, no, no, you are murdering these creatures. They deserve to live. They're just trying to live here. And I here am killing them. So Yoko yeah, Taro, he cool is right. out of them. Farming them for pants. <laughs> exactly. I got to have pants, cat. Like, come on. Give me a give me a break here. You're going to make me sing See My Vest again. So, yeah. We did that last time. Yeah, we did that a couple <laughs> episodes ago. But uh, Near Replicant, when I played it, I was... It brought back a lot of memories, I'll say that much. But that opening is really, really good when you're in mm -hmm. the, the, the city and uh, you're protecting your sister and you're going, what the heck is happening? And you're fighting all the monsters. And there's a kind of uh, moodiness and desperation to it that mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. And the improvements to the uh, frame rate and the graphics, in, in some ways, especially the backgrounds, are still quite uh, spare. And the same goes for Mass Effect, a legendary edition, actually, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Yeah. 
but mm-hmm. at the same time it doesn't really matter because there's a stylized look to it that i think is just fine and then when suddenly you're in a kind of a post-apocalyptic world and you're going out and you're hunting sheep and murdering them in the most bloody way possible holy cow you just need some mutton that's it you know you just shoot them with your book to get some mutton i love mutton but the mood whiplash is excellent in that game and it does such a good job of establishing things but also it feels like a game that came out in 2010 in many ways Mm -hmm. especially in the way that it tells a lot of its stories in the the loading little loading screens which if you're on the ps5 load too quickly for you to be able to actually read them (laughs) started screenshotting them yeah, I, I had that problem with because uh, I'm playing the the Mass Effect on um, the Xbox, and it's the same thing where uh, oh, I think that says nothing. Oh, it's gone now. Yeah, gone. yeah. Eric, why didn't this game hit for you as hard as Near Automata? I feel like I have to go into spoilers to talk about why, but I think like broadly, um, it just felt like in some ways it was retreading stuff that I had seen before, and that's because this is obviously like Automata. Uh, automata was carrying forward stuff that you'd seen already um and i feel like some of the the twists were a little predictable with like oh this person's a villain after all i was like of course they're a villain after all oh this person is actually this person i was like of course they're that person like obviously <laughs> they're that person but like um so in that sense like and it's not like automata has the most winding surprise story ever but i always think back to like automata uh, uh automatas <laughs> mm. uh ending e and and even like cde that like run of stuff where it just starts playing with your expectations and changing your perspective on the world so much and i felt like i didn't see that as much with near replicant and i think just again some of the padding some of the the repetition of stories and stuff like that just wore on me a bit it was not as streamlined of an experience so i the the big beats like facade and stuff like that which are really really good stories ended up just being like oh i gotta go do the facade quest again because the game is making me do it again because i gotta go to ending b and then i gotta go to ending c which means i have to do that again and um it 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 just made it really plainly obvious how automata was a more smoothed out experience and benefited from that and also like platinum's combat in automata was incredible and Replicant is serviceable, but it's not anywhere near that, to be frank. Um, they made some nice improvements to the remastered versions, so I, I think that helped a lot. I loved like slotting chips in and like making builds and like the way that 9S like hacked things, whereas like 2B slashed things, and mm. it's it I, there there was just so much differentiation in Automata. And also, I love Pascal. Like that whole storyline is so good, and and ending E obviously is incredible. But again, like this is the same with Mass Effect, where when I'm like ranking them, we're talking about games that I think Automata is one of my top ten favorite games of all time, and I could see Replicant making it into my like top forty. Let's mm-hmm. put it around there. Let's ballpark it there, because uh, I do have a lot of favorite games. But <laughs> um, it is still like a game that I have on my game of the year shortlist right now, and all that. Um, but it is, I don't think it won me as hard as, as Automata did. Have you heard of the TV trope, Seinfeld is unfunny? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that I a have TV not. trope or is that just like a take? Is that, are we dropping an opinion? Where I saw it in TV trope, uh, which is the idea that 
something that pioneers something will seem old because everything else did it. So Near Replicant was the game that did it first before Near Automata. And people thought that was amazing back in 2010. I remember everybody was kind of dunking on it a lot before it came out. And then the tune really changed when Near Automata was, or the original Near was actually released. And people were like, ah, it's so surprising. It's constantly catching you off guard. It's doing all these interesting things. There are these crazy mini games that are going on. And you got to see the alternate endings. Holy cow. Like it totally changes your perspective on everything. Yes. Did mm-hmm. Near Automata take that concept and run with it and deepen it and make it more interesting in many ways? It did. But Near Replicant as a like first effort was like really good. And it tells its own story. That's uh, quite compelling. So I'm really glad that yeah. they've gone out of their way to really upgrade it and everything. And as I already said a couple episodes ago, if you had told me 10 years ago that Near Replicant would be <laughs> remastered and released and that it would be a big deal and people would be talking about how it was their game of the year, I would have called you a freaking liar. But here we are. All right. So last game that I really wanted to touch on was Pokemon Snap, a game that I still have not played to my last yes. chagrin. I actually have a giant backlog at the moment. I've got Resident Evil Village installed on my PS5. I've got... Let's see, what else do I have? Uh, I've installed a bunch of games. I got Famicom Detective Club. I got... Yeah. yeah. Now we're talking. Yep. I got Mass Effect, obviously. So, oh, and Returnal, which I really enjoy and actually want to keep playing, but is really, really hard. And it's just kind of dragging myself along by my fingertips. It's an endurance game, and I don't know that I have the endurance and. Mostly, I just keep playing my dumb baseball game. Anyway, now you've been playing <laughs> Pokemon Snap. Eric, did you finish Pokemon Snap? Yeah, I reviewed it um, for for Destructoid. Um, and man, that's some Pokemon Snap right there. Uh, I mean, it's weird that now we've had three games in a row where I'm like, yeah, it's it's that game. But uh, it in all the good ways, I think Pokemon Snap nails what what Pokemon Snap used to be back in. Oh God, it was a long time ago. (laughs) 90 something. Um, Yeah. uh, I'm having flashbacks to like seventh grade sitting in the living room of my friend's place. And we would just pass the controller around seeing who could hit all the switches to unlock the next part of the stage and seeing how fast we could get to Mew and all that sort of thing. Um, It is, it is a hundred percent that, um, I, I used to call it like a rail shooter game with a camera. And now I call it more of like a theme park game with a camera where I think they do a really good job in this game specifically of uh, creating some interesting like theme park attraction type stuff for you to take pictures of and interact with in interesting ways. Um, it's a bummer. There's no mega, evol- not mega evolutions, just any evolutions. Um, yeah. yeah. I miss knocking things into lava and seeing them evolve. There's even like, there are multiple times where a Magikarp is like perched really precariously and I'm like, oh, I'm going to hit it with an apple and it's going to turn into a Gyarados now. And it never happens. I've been you know, trying to do that. It doesn't I, I, happen, does it? I've, I've seen some data mines that indicate that no, it does not happen ever. Um, and uh, that's that's a bummer because that was a really cool part of N64 Pokemon was finding those little things. And there's still little things to find, but they're kind of hinged on what I think is the one big thing I didn't like about this game, which was the Illumina orbs. Um, 
they added in like these weird pester balls that you can throw to interact with like the crystal blooms, like little flowers and stuff. And really I found that they didn't really do much when you threw them at Pokemon other than light them up a little bit. Um, and, and they're tied into like activating things. So you throw it at a crystal bloom and now something might happen that might cause nearby Pokemon to do something interesting. Like the little blossoms will dance and stuff. And so now you can take a picture of them doing, you know, a little, uh, blossom hula dance. Yeah. I actually found a really cute one where you threw it on, on, in the underwater level and two love discs would like meet up and kiss in front of it. It was very cute. Yeah. And it's like, it's weird that they seem to have condensed a lot of that stuff under that and through the crystal blooms because it makes it feel more like you're almost like you're hitting a target like like again like you're on a theme park ride and you have a squirt mm-hmm. gun and there's like a target going by and if you hit the target then the animatronic guy does something different and it's cool <laughs> and like that's neat but i always kind of like the thing where it felt more organic like you would have to throw an apple to lead a pokemon over here and then agitate it or throw a pokemon like like it just felt more organic in the way you discover these unless like you were hitting an on switch Mm -hmm. um but that's that's all well and good like i didn't that wasn't like a major gripe my major gripe was those freaking illumina stages with the illumina pokemon like the big ones yeah uh those are awful (laughs) i've only done one i've only done one with the uh the mega the first one it's the only tolerable one (laughs) oh really that bad it gets so much worse that's funny um it turns into this thing where it's like so the next one you'll probably run into is oh those pokemon have a fire shield around them so the the thing that i think they're supposed to teach you in that first meganium one is that when you take a picture of those mega pokemon those those illumina pokemon you want them to be lit up so you have to hit them with the illumina orbs and then take a picture of them or else it, okay or else the professor's like these photos suck and throw them <laughs> <in> the <dumpster." laughs> that professor, and, professor Mirror sucks oh yeah no he's he's terrible. i like todd though um but in in the next one you'll get it's like oh they have a fire shield so you have to hit their shield with a bunch of apples to take them down and then you hit them with an illumina orb and then you take a picture oh and and then in later ones it gets even more complex where you're doing the sequence of things just to hit them with an illumina orb and like look pokemon snap has never been a game about great accuracy you know you're just lobbing things and hoping that it hits in the area you need it to and it just turns into like it turns into a rail shooter where you're just like, please hit the freaking Pokemon. You're just like throwing <laughs> everything out of your buggy and you're like, and you get to <laughs> the end. Litter. Yeah. And you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, God, I think I got that picture. And Professor Mirror is like, well, he wasn't lit up. So you didn't get any good pictures and you're going to have to go through that like five minute rail sequence again. And you're just like, well, OK, great. I hate this game. So like that's that's the one downer and it's a real big downer but other than that this is pokemon snap, yeah because right? i'm like Boy, having stupid. it's actually my first pokemon snap the first one i never really played much of and i'm really really enjoying it mm-hmm. um i got uh pulled on one counter nintendo crime though because i uh took a picture of a leopard's ass and then um i made a rainbow come out of its ass like <laughs> and it used like a little star emoji or something as its butthole <laughs> and i wrote the t- caption how cats see themselves and like immediately got like 200 wows or likes or whatever they call it, like boom. And I'm like, wow, this is, I'm, I'm really popular today. And then Nintendo sent an email that said very sternly, very nicely, uh, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, a, you're in Nintendo jail. <laughs> and I went to Nintendo jail. Yep. It was worth it. It was really funny. <laughs> Hashtag worth it. <laughs> and then like when I got the, I, I put the picture on, on Twitter and it said, I'm going to get pulled for this. 
And then like I I've got I put uh, I took a screenshot of the the don't do this again email and I wrote like in the arms of the angel. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're tempting the the Nintendo to like just bring their wrath down upon you. I had to. I looked at that like why would you let me take a picture of a Lipard's ass if you're not going to let me do something funny with it? Why like, would you give the, these Pokemon asses and not let me take pictures? You're of the them? <laughs> you're the cops here, not me. Like I, I'm totally innocent. Cat suddenly rethinking this choice of podcast. <laughs> she should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> uh, I've been caught podcasting with Nadia for five years now. We've gone crazier <laughs> places, honestly. Uh, yes, we have. But I, I am enjoying the game very much. The one thing I do not like, and I guess maybe this is because I haven't done this whole uh, mega evolution thing that you're talking about. I find that it's hard to fulfill requests. Like, yeah. I'll be asked, hey, take a picture of this asshole. And I take a picture and they're like, I don't get the the fulfillment for it. I, I, I don't know if it's a specific trigger or it doesn't really let you know very clearly like it should. They're usually so like the requests are kind of the game's way of prodding you towards some of the special interactions because mm. the new and I'm saying it's new because I don't remember this being in the original Pokemon Snap, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't in the original Pokemon Snap where um, you have like star ratings that are independent of your score rating. Yes. So um, you can get like four stars, but still get like a 2000 point score. Mm-hmm. So you only get like bronze stars. And so the idea is you have a score that's like, you know, from bronze to diamond, but the stars are like, actions that the pokemon is doing so like a one star is just them hanging out or whatever yeah whereas a two star might be you know pikachu's waving at you that's adorable whereas four star is like oh shit pikachu's surfing <laughs> and like that right you know so that's kind of how they they divvy it up and and i think the requests are supposed to be what encourages you to find some of these special stars Mm. uh, because a lot of them are tied to similar stuff or like encouraging you to interact with the things that will lure rare pokemon out um but yeah they get really highly specified and even the ones where i knew i had gotten the interaction uh it still felt like i was not getting the request for them every time so i just started ignoring them like they're really more they're not needed for progression or anything. Progression is always tied to your score. Uh, so as long as you're taking pictures of Pokemon, even Pokemon that you've already seen, because even if you take a worse picture, it'll still count towards your progression. Um, right. So as long as you're just taking pictures of Pokemon, you'll progress through this game. So the requests are really more, I think, almost for the completionists who want to find all the different interactions to kind of signpost them, because some of them would be kind of difficult to find otherwise. Like, I think... I was recording for our video review and I accidentally found Mew and that was a weird <gasps> thing because you don't like Mew is not a secret level in this one, but it's mm-hmm. like uh, a lot. There's a lot of legendary Pokemon that show up if you do the right things in the right place. And this one I specifically activated by just doing the right set number of things right at the beginning. Um, and so I had to like message my video editor and be like, Hey, I accidentally triggered a spoiler <laughs> in a lot of our B-roll. So uh, if you cut around that, I don't think people are going to want to know Muse in this game, or at least they don't want to see where Mew is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo plays going to come and destroy you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They mean business. Those Nintendo so embargo plays don't mess with them. I feel like Pokemon Snap or new Pokemon Snap is going to end up passing me by a little bit because I have 
too many games to play, frankly, that I would rather be playing instead. But uh, do you think it's worth uh, circling back if I have half a second to enjoy this game? Like, is it that much of an improvement on the original Pokemon Snap? I think if you've never played a Pokemon Snap, it definitely is one to check out. It is. It's a $60 game, which I even like called attention to. I'm like this. You you got to want to want what this game is for you to really feel like you've gotten it. And if you want a Pokemon Snap, this is a Pokemon Snap. You will get your Pokemon Snaps worth out of it. Um, that it being a said, surprising amount of content, I think, for there, there is Pokemon Snap. Yeah, that, that's not a content thing at all. It's just like it is you are kind of doing one thing in that game and that is like going along on rails and taking pictures of Pokemon and they definitely meter it out in interesting ways where you're building up research level which is really cool and you're seeing uh, levels at different uh, times of day so different types of Pokemon are coming out and different interactions are happening uh, and they do a lot of ways have a lot of ways to divvy it up but it is like you are doing one thing in that game and it is very direct about that one thing so um, I don't I don't think there's a demo out for it, but I almost wish there was just so people who mm-hmm. thought it might be for them would, could like get in and like play one course of it and be like, is this what I want out of it out of a video game right now? Um, I will say um, one of my favorite games from last year, Umarangi Generation, uh, the developer has been showing a bunch of clips and stuff of their Switch version. Uh, so hopefully that's building up to a release date soon because that should be coming to switch. And if you want a cheaper way to take photo games in your switch, uh, that is an excellent video game. So that's my tie in for Eric Van Allen's number two game of the year last year. (laughs) Just for for Pokemon snap. I, I I was like the kind of kid who I always watch like nature documentaries and stuff like that. So it just really, really appeals to that part of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's Pokemon. It's adorable. You know, well, we're running out of time, but I will say that out of these three games, I think actually Mass Effect Legendary Edition probably excites me the most, which might not be that controversial a statement, though I know there are plenty of people who are calling Near Replicant like their game of the year and stuff like that. So, but I am just, I feel like so many people are really excited to be going back to Mass Effect and being able to play through all of the content and everything and yeah, maybe the remaster isn't fully perfect, but by and large, it seems really good. And I have to say that when I was playing the original Mass Effect, it felt like the original Mass Effect, just prettier, mm. you know? Yep. And so in that respect, I think that they managed to kind of capture the, the the feel of the original game, which is no small feat without being completely unbearable to play. Yeah, yeah. It's all three Mass Effect games. Like, what what more do you want, honestly, at the end of the day? All right, that is about it for us right now. But if you are interested in talking to us about these games, if you have other games that you've been playing that you would like us to cover, send me an email at cat at bluguppod.com. All right, it's time for the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God. Don't go away. All right, it's time for the epic boss battle of the week of the Blood God, the segment in which we recall a boss from an RPG because bosses are a great way to understand a game's dynamics, its mechanics, what makes it special. And there are a lot of very memorable boss battles. This one is a reader-submitted boss battle, and it's actually not from an RPG, strictly speaking. 
is from Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. Eric, did you ever play that one? Oh, yeah, but I don't know how much I remember of it, so this is going to be an interesting segment. <laughs> this one is from John Cutting, and they want to highlight the final boss of Senua's Sacrifice. So some major spoilers incoming for those who haven't played it. If you want to play Hellblade, and who doesn't? It's actually a very good game. You should skip through this segment. Here's the setup. Hellblade isn't a long game, but it takes an emotional toll while playing. It is an exhausting yet compelling game to play as Senua goes through a difficult journey where we are unsure what is real and what is imagined. This game shines because Senua feels like a strong, capable warrior, yet she also feels vulnerable and human throughout the playthrough. By the time we reach the end, the game has taken its toll on her through a series of gut punches. For example, Senua entering Helheim is a terribly gripping scene. The final boss. The final boss, Hela, is the cathartic release that this game needs. Your sword is permanently charged up, the bittersweet music is sweeping through the encounter, and you mow through waves of enemies with unrestrained fury as you approach the unemotive Hela on the horizon. No matter how well you fight, you cannot defeat her. Slowly, this dawns on the player, and honestly, this is the only way that this battle should end. The journey of the game wasn't really to get Senua's love, Dillian, back. It's a slow process of coming to terms with this loss. Dillian was always gone, and the journey to get him back was never going to happen. This final boss battle gives us everything we need. The silent goddess is just within reach. We have a sword that is forged to kill a god, but we realize that there is no way forward unless we let him go. This is hard to do after all the work that we put into the game at this point. The journey wasn't a waste because it makes us realize how important it is to both Senua and Dillian for her to come to a level where she can accept his death and let him go. I'm a sucker for any game that uses its mechanics to tell a story instead of just expositing it, and the final battle with Hela does exactly that. Despite the violence and trauma throughout the game, Senua's defeat at the end is a beautiful moment that really nails the game's overall themes of loss and acceptance. So there you go. Not an RPG, but a very RPG ending, wouldn't you say, Eric? Yeah, I was actually googling this real quick because I like the I like the idea of like characters or like fights where you can't win. Like unwinnable fights are always really interesting as a mechanic to me. The end of um, Red Dead Redemption 1. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Or even um I'd say I'd argue if you're doing like a pacifist run of Undertale, um mm. you, like I, I specifically think of the Toriel fight where they just kind of slow down after time. You can't really beat them. But they can't beat you. And it's just a battle of attrition. And it's uh, it's a cool idea. And I, I don't think I've finished Senua, but I definitely remember when I was playing it that it was a really striking game, both visually and in like the, the ideas it was conveying and the struggles of the main character. Um, I really hope that the second game, which they teased a while ago, and I've not seen hide nor hair of it since but like it's I, I hope that pops back up at some point because it's just a really cool thing you know it's the sort of game that I think would thrive on a game pass and um, I, I, I like the idea of that series and then making more of it so 
Well, hey, they're owned by Microsoft, just like every other studio. So. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to Microsoft announcing that they're going to acquire some other studio. I hope it's not a studio that I like because God, we don't need more consolidation. Gosh darn it. No, I think I've done consolidations for a while. Think of the Game Pass value. Well, think supposedly of it. they've been looking to get a Japanese developer in there, like a Sega or something. I really hope they don't. Nintendo. No, oh my God. They're, no, they're yeah, not going to find it. terrible. They're not finding no. Nintendo. Oh, Sega would be again. interesting, though. That would get real interesting. Could you imagine the mass freakout if Microsoft bought Nintendo? I'd be part of that freakout. That'd be pretty bad. I would be, too. That would be an emergency podcast. Yeah. I'd love it. I'd love <laughs> it. be one. <laughs> Just be like, sweet Jesus, no. What has happened? Sweet Jesus, kill us now. <laughs> if I've learned anything in this past like week and a half of Apple Epic trial and stuff like that, oh, yeah. video games as an industry are, are ridiculous. Like there was a naked banana man in court. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honestly, that like, happened, yeah. if we embrace that, we're, we're going to be all the better for it. So... I did love reading the oral history of the original Xbox and them saying basically Nintendo basically laughing Xbox out of the room when they came in to try and buy them. Yeah, I love the fact they went all the way to Japan to do that just to get laughed at. And they knew they were going to get laughed at, but they just they knew they had to do it anyway. They had to try. Like, let me show you the Duke. (laughs) (laughs) That thing is as big as a child. (laughs) Oh, it's like the old Penny Arcade comic. It's a bear. It's like, can we exactly. can we tell the can Gabe tell the difference between an Xbox controller and a bear? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> the one funny joke exactly. that comic ever did. No, that's not true. They did, <laughs> they did a few. No, I have to say the Tony Hawk ride joke was my favorite of all time. Oh yeah, where, what was uh, that one? Tycho was playing DJ Hero, and of course by that point we're all thoroughly tired of plastic instruments, and they're the guys are remarking about how. You know, maybe people are just tired of having plastic crap inside of their apartment and the people working on Tony Hawk ride must be shitting their pants. And then you see the final <laughs> the final panel, Tony Hawk, a glass of punch in his hand saying, hey, everyone, I just thought we'd have a little celebration. So, you know, drink punch, drink lots and lots of punch. If it tastes funny or if you start to feel weird, don't worry about it. It's going to be OK. Everything is going to be OK. <laughs> just a look on his face. Huh. Uh, I have to admit, I love that comic so much. And he's holding the plastic the plastic board as he's talking. <laughs> uh, we're laughing at Penny Arcade. We really are doing a throwback to 2000s in this episode, aren't we? We sure are. <laughs> Pull and, up some control, I'll delete now. <laughs> I was going to say, time to laugh at CAD. Chop, chop. And on that note, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, once again... Go and leave us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and all of that jazz. And we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash bloodgodpod. Eric, thank you so much. We really appreciated having you on the show. Anything else you want to promote before we wrap up? Yeah. Hi, I'm Eric. You can find all my work at S-E-A-M-O-O-S-I on Twitter. Um, 
I'm also on destructoid.com. I'm senior news reporter over there, and we're going to have a lot of cool stuff leading up to E3 and all that. And also, Normandy FM, uh, we were once a Bioware slash Mass Effect podcast. Now we're just kind of a general retrospective podcast in which we will have Mass Effect roundtables coming up pretty soon. But we are also working on The Last of Us right now. So we are we just finished Last of Us Part 1, and we're doing Left Behind this week, and then we'll be going into uh the last of us part two after that and then we're already planning what our next series is after that we're thinking it might get a little strange so uh look forward to that we it's a fun thing we have guests on every week and it's it's been really interesting i mean talk about going back to games that were really pivotal for the time the last of us (laughs) oh yeah remember that game can't wait till that's remastered again Oh, oh, because God With knows the, we need it. Another Last of Us remaster. Yeah, using the likenesses of the HBO cast. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> well, this was an extremely loopy podcast, but a fun, a fun one. It was great to have you back, Eric, and I'm sure we'll have you Great again. to be back. But yeah. until then, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll be back next week. But until then, for Eric, Nadia, and myself, happy adventuring. Yeah.